0: So as we wrap up this series, I want to talk to you about this thing called generosity. And I'm sure you're thinking, of course you do, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. You can, it's church. You can be honest. You're probably thinking, of course you do, right? But not that kind of generosity. Not the kind of generosity that you think. I want to talk to you this morning about the generosity of God. See, as I was thinking about this today, I was thinking about that word generosity and I started searching online and looking at all the different definitions. And I just want to tell you right now, the world has a lot of different definitions and a lot of different ways that they try to explain generosity. But when it comes to the generosity of God, I believe it can be defined by one word, grace. The generosity of God is, is the grace of God. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write that down. The generosity of God is the grace of God. You see, you may not have realized it when you woke up this morning, but the generosity of God meets us in probably a dozen different ways when we wake up. Uh, let me just remind you, if you're not aware, that this morning, the fact that you woke up is a generous gift from God. Amen? Amen? The fact that you woke up and there was breath in your lungs and a heart that's beating in your chest, and you were able to take your legs out of that bed and put your feet on the ground and stand up, that all in and of itself is a generous gift from the Lord. Would you agree with that? God is a generous God. And see, here's the problem that I I think occurs. We, we wake up, we, we start running fast frantically after all the things that the day holds and we forget to remember how generous our God is to us in the, the little everyday things. And then we get to the end of our day and we lay our head on our pillow and we forget to look back and say, God, thank you. Thank you for all that you did in my life today. God, thank you for all the the generous gifts that you have given me. The gift of life, the gift of my family, the gift of my health, the gift of all these things. God, you are a generous God. And And so when we lay our heads down, we need to remember that he is generous. Here's what I want us to see this morning is that when you forget the generosity of God, things can go south real quick. Let me say that again. When you forget the generosity of God and how great he is and how good he is and that everything you have comes from him, things can go south in a hurry. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. You should have that page well marked up by now. We've been over the, in this for 4 weeks now. This is the 5th week, but Deuteronomy chapter 6 in your Bible should not ever look the same again. Because we've been hanging out there for a while. But here's what I want to share with you. I want, to, I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. If you're there, say, I'm there. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 10. It says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, And cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. So, what is Moses doing here? We've been in this scripture for a while over the last few weeks, and he's saying, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, right? There's no other gods before him. Be sure and remind your children of who God is and what he's done. And Moses is preparing the nation of Israel as they get ready to eventually enter into the promised land. He's reminding them of the generosity of God. He says, hey, when you move into these homes that you did not build, when you drink from these wells that that you did not dig, when you eat from these gardens and these olive trees and this harvest that you did not plant, don't forget where it came from. Like, you didn't do this. God did this. God delivered you. He brought you out of the land of Egypt. He brought you through the wilderness. And he's taking you into this promise He did this all alone, all by himself. So I want to remind you that everything you have, everything that you will receive is a generous gift from God because he's a generous God. Amen. And that is what Moses is doing in this moment. He is reminding the people of God that God is generous and that the only reason they have anything is because of his generosity So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look through several places in the scripture and I want us to see the generosity of God, but I want us to to be reminded so that we don't forget, like he said there, so that we don't forget that everything we have comes from his generosity. I want us to be reminded, I want us to be overwhelmed at the generosity of God when we walk out of here this morning that we would say, God, I am overwhelmed by you. I'm overwhelmed by your goodness to me. And that is my plan and my prayer for us this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn in Genesis chapter 3, just a few pages back. Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. We know the story. This is the story of creation. This is where it all begins. God creates Adam and Eve and he puts them in the garden and he he puts them in this perfect paradise. And he says, man, you're free. Enjoy this. And that is his generosity towards them. And then he tells them, hey, you're free to enjoy all of this. But there's just one thing. Hey, don't touch that tree over there. And what do they do? They touch the tree, right? They're just like us. They do exactly what we would do. How many of you have toddlers in the room or have raised some kids? What do we all do? Hey, don't touch that. That's hot. Hey, don't go out in the street. That's not a six-year-old. When I would tell him that when he was two or three, he'd walk forward. I'd say, eh, don't do that defiant just like all of us this is the story of all of us this is who we are God says hey hey don't do that that's not good for you that's going to hurt you and what do we do let me see how far I can go let me see what I can get away with so in this moment sin enters in all of creation is shattered by this decision and in this moment uh, God says hey if you touch that you will what die now we know that they die spiritually but God does not kill them, does he? He does not physically kill them. Instead, God comes looking for them, and when he finds them, he kills an animal. God, in this moment, instead of giving them what they deserve, which was death, he kills an animal. And instead of killing them, he covers them with his grace. He extends grace he is generous in this moment this is what it says in verse 21 it says and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them see God could have killed them and he would have been fully justified in doing so because he warned them but he doesn't give them what they deserve instead he gives them grace he doesn't kill them he covers them with this sacrifice that he provides for them See, this is overwhelming. It is the generosity of God. It is the grace of God. I want us to pause real quick here for a moment because it's so easy to fly past this. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. When it comes to generosity, generosity requires sacrifice. We see that right out of the gate from the beginning in the garden. Adam and Eve blow it. They mess up just like we would. And instead of giving them what they deserve, God makes a sacrifice and extends generosity towards them. He gives them grace. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I should go out and kill something this afternoon. Please don't, all right? I don't need you to go out and kill something. But here's what it does mean. It means that true generosity will cost you. Did you catch that? See, generosity is not measured by how much you give, but rather by what sacrifice you make in order to give. Let me say that one more time. Generosity is not measured by what or how much you give, but rather by what you sacrifice to give. We see this all throughout the scripture. Genesis chapter 6, a few chapters over, we see the story of this man named Noah. See, sin had entered in, sin runs rampant, and all these years later, God looks down on creation and he sees mankind and he says, man, they are wicked through and through. There is no one good. And all of a sudden he sees Noah and Noah and his family find favor in God's eyes. And so he asks Noah, he tells Noah to build an ark. And this is what he says. He says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your son's wives with you. What does God do in this moment? God is generous. He extends generosity to Noah and his family. He spares their life. And here's what you need to catch on this. Noah was not without sin. Noah sinned just like you and I did, right? Or we will. Just like everyone else. Noah was not perfect, but he found favor in God's eyes. And God was generous towards him. And God provides an ark. You see, the ark is the generosity of God in this moment. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 13. We've talked about Exodus, it seems like, multiple times this last, over the last several months. But the people of God are in captivity. They're in Egypt. They're in bondage under Pharaoh. God sends a man named Moses to be their advocate, to speak for them and to say, tell Pharaoh to set them free. He says no, right? And God sends plague after plague after plague to get his attention. And finally, it comes down to the last plague. And God says to to Moses and to the people of Israel, he says, hey, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go and find a spotless, perfect lamb. And I need you to take that lamb and I need you to sacrifice it. And then I need your families to go in their homes and consume the lamb. And then I need you to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost, the the mantles and the doorposts of your homes. And tonight when the death angel passes over, your lives will be spared because of the blood of the lamb. In this moment, that is the generosity of God. The people of God were not without sin. They were just like the Egyptians, but God extended grace. He gave them, he was generous towards them and he passed over them and he spared their lives. And then he delivers them and brings them out of Egypt. Verse 13, it says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this is the generosity of God as he passes over. Later on, God would give these commandments to Moses, the Ten Commandments. These commandments would be for their protection, but also to point out to them their need for a Savior to point out to them that they could never be good enough, that they could not keep the commands, that they could not keep the law. And so, therefore, they needed the generosity of God. They needed the grace of God in their lives. That's what we see with the Ten Commandments. In the wilderness, Moses takes these people, the million-plus people, and leads them through the wilderness. And because of their wickedness, because of their rebelliousness, they have to stay in the wilderness for 40 years until a generation passes away. And during that 40 years, God provides for them every single day. He feeds them bread from heaven every single morning. He says that their clothes and their shoes did not wear out. What is this? This is the generosity of God. He provides for them. He takes care of them. He meets their daily needs day in and day out. How many of you are thankful this morning that lo- the Lord is your provider, that he takes care of you, that he meets your needs on a daily basis? That is the generosity of of God. As Moses' life comes to an end, he he has a leader that he has raised up, a a young man that was of the next generation named Joshua. Moses passes the baton from one generation to the next, and he looks at Joshua and he says, I need you to lead these people, these stiff-necked people. Now be aware, they're going to want to go this way when you're supposed to go this way. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what they experience, they are going to want to constantly fight against you and rebel and go in the other direction. But I, I, want you to, I want you to hear what God says to Joshua. Here's what he says in verse 5. He says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Man, that's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Josh, how many of you as parents and grandparents want that to be said of your children and your grandchildren? That you'll be able to look at them and say, just as the Lord was with me, he will be with you all the days of your life. No matter where you go, no matter where he takes you, he goes before you and he fights every battle for you. He'll defeat your enemies that stand against you. This is what God does for Joshua and the nation of Israel. He goes before them as they go into the Promised Land and He defeats every enemy that stands in their way. And He says, every place where your footsteps will be yours. Now go and do it. And He goes before them. This is the generosity of God. He is their defender. He fights their battles for them. How many of you are thankful that you don't have to fight all your battles? that the Lord is your defender, that he goes before you, that he is the one that's fighting these battles for you. I can't tell you how many times I've gone, man, God, I can't do this, but you can. So I'm giving it to you. Our God is a generous God. At the end of Joshua's life, he does exactly what Moses does. He gathers the people of the nation of Israel together, and he says, hey, listen, don't forget Don't forget the generosity of God. Don't forget all that He has done and all that He has given us. He has given us all of this promised land. Don't forget. What do they do? What do they do? They forget. They forget. Which leads to many difficult and dark days for generations to come. Don't miss that. We're talking about the next generation. We're talking about what God has called us to do, that we would teach them, that we would remind them, that we would show them so that they will not forget. Because when you forget, remember what I said? Things can go south real quick. And that is exactly what we see all throughout the remainder of Scripture. Let me, let me remind you this. Our generous God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is the same today as He was back then with Moses. Our God is the same today as He was back then with Joshua. He does not change. He is the same. That's why everything that we have talked about over the last several weeks is so important Everything that we've learned in Deuteronomy 6 about when our children ask, that we tell them about the grace and the goodness of God, that we remind them, that we show them, that we pray for them, that we invest in them, that we do everything we can, everything in our power to make sure that the baton gets passed successfully from this generation to that generation. Because if we do not, they will forget. We must remind them and teach them and show them. Because here's the deal, New Beginnings. Life outside of the generosity of God is not life. It's death. Let me say it again. Life outside of God's generosity is not life. It is death. See, the world will tell our children and our grandchildren and the next generation that this is what living is. This is what real life is. This is where you can find life. And they don't tell them on the other side of that it ends in death. It's smoke and mirrors. I wish someone would have told me at an earlier age that that leads to destruction. Thank God that he is generous and by his grace later on I was saved. But I'm telling you, we've got to tell our children that no, no, no. Death, what looks like death is really life. You've got to die to yourself and follow Jesus. And when you follow him, he's got the best plan possible for your life. Now run after him with everything that you have. That is what we've got to pass on to our children See, as the Old Testament continues, the people of God forget the generosity of God over and over and over again. But the Lord is faithful. He is faithful and true in every instance. He sends judges and prophets and kings to try to get the people's attention, to try to remind them about who He is and what He's done and even in their wicked rebellion the lord was generous and he would not give up on them the lord was relentless in his pursuit of his people he would allow his people even in throughout the scripture he would allow his people to be defeated and captured by foreign countries and foreign kings taken into captivity and don't miss this i want to share this with you this morning don't miss this even when he allowed them to be defeated even when he allowed them to be captured and taken in captivity That too was his generosity towards them. See, a lot of times we don't think that way. We think that the generosity of God is just a life filled with rainbows and butterflies, right? We think that it's the yellow brick road where everything goes easy. But I want to tell you that that's not true. That's not the Bible. That's why we see verses like James 1-2 where it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials and difficulties of many kind. For these trials and these things that you're going to go through, they develop perseverance, leaving you mature and complete, not lacking anything. Like some of these things that are hard and difficult, therefore you're good in His glory it's the generosity of God that he, he allows you to go through some things. He allows you to walk through some stuff. That too is the generosity of God. With the nation of Israel, every time He was hoping that they would see it and they would turn, repent and turn back to Him. So He allowed those things to take place. He allowed those things to happen in their lives. At the end of the Old Testament, if you were to turn all the way to the book right before Matthew, you have the book of Malachi. Malachi. Malachi is the last of the prophets. Malachi was sent by God to, again, try to get their attention, try to speak truth into their life, try to talk some sense to them, try to get them to turn back and to see that he's a good God, that he's generous, that he wants nothing but the best for you. And they would not do it. So at the end of the Old Testament, what does God do? He goes silent. How many teachers do I have in the room? Got some teachers in here? Educators? Let me ask you this. As a teacher, when you have done everything in your power, everything that you know to do, to try to get their attention, to try to talk some sense into them, to try to get them to listen up, and if nothing works, what do you do? go silent. You see, silence, it'll get their attention. So you go silent to get them to realize, oh, wait, he or she's not speaking anymore. So for 400 years, God goes silent. He had sent prophet after prophet after king trying to speak some truth into them trying to speak some sense to them trying to get their attention and nothing worked no matter what he did no matter what happened nothing got their attention and so he goes silent and in that silence, i'm sure they were going wait a minute where's god he hasn't said anything in a long time we've been waiting hundreds of years and he still has not said anything to us generations had passed away they'd come and gone and they still have not heard anything from god I don't know about you, but I would have started to panic going, wait a minute. I thought we were God's people. I thought he had a plan for us, but I don't hear from him. I haven't seen or heard from him in a long time. My parents, my grandparents, no one has heard a word from him. He goes silent, nothing, for 400 years. And this is why. Because what he was about to do and what he's about to say next was really, really important. You see, God does not send another prophet He doesn't send another king. He doesn't send another judge. He doesn't send anyone else. Here's what he does in this moment. He sends his one and only son from heaven to earth to do what no one else could do, to live a life that no one else could live, to pay a price for all of the sins of humanity once and for all. John, the forerunner, the one that would start to speak on behalf as Jesus arrived on the scene, said, this is the one I've been talking about. This is the one who I said that I'm not fit to bend down and tie his sandals. This is the one, this is the Holy Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the Savior that we've been waiting for for thousands and thousands of years, all the way back from the garden when we messed up what God set up. He's finally here. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Why would God do this? Why would God send His one and only Son. The answer is found right there in one little word in John 3, 16. Love is the answer. For God so... you got to say it like you believe it this morning. For God so loved. For God so loved the world. Now I want you to replace world with your name. Are you ready? For God so loved... you got to say it louder than that. For God so loved you got to personalize John 3.16. It's not just the world, it's for me. You see, I had heard John 3.16 most of my life, I just didn't believe it was for me. Until I went, wait a minute, God loves me. God's got a plan for me. God loves me. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, a lot of people look at the cross of Christ and they think, man, the the Romans put him there. They think that the Romans held him there. A lot of people look at the cross of Christ and they think, "Man, no, it was the nails that they drove through his wrist and through his feet, that that's what held him there, that that's what kept him on the cross Can I just tell you this morning, New Beginnings, it wasn't the Romans that put him there and kept him there. It wasn't the nails that kept him there. It was his love for you and you and you and you. It was his love for you that kept him there. This is God in the flesh. He walked on water. He rose from the grave. He conquered sin and death. He rose people from the dead. He healed the blind, the lame. You think he couldn't have got down off that cross if he wanted to? He could have got down at any second that he wanted to, but it was love that kept him there. That's how generous our God is, is that he loved you and me so much that he sent his one and only son. Let me tell you, I'm a dad of two boys, and I love you guys, but there's not a person in this room that I would give up my son for. Not even the best person in this world would I give my son up for. Yet God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to live a life that you and I could never live and to pay the price for all of our sins once and for all. That's how generous he is. That's how good he is. So let me ask you, how could we be recipients of such an extravagant, sacrificial gift and not be a people who are extravagantly generous as well. You see, the love of Christ, when it moves into our hearts and into our lives, it radically changes us. It transforms us from the inside out. It takes us and moves us from being selfish and greedy to being selfless and generous where we realize, man, I, I have nothing to claim. There, I, didn't, I, didn't, I did none of this. Everything I have is a generous gift from above because of what God did for me through his son. And so now everything that I am and everything that I give comes out of the overflow of my heart from the generosity that I've experienced from God the Father that He loved me, that He died for me, and that He has promised me eternal life with Him, I can't lose. So from this day forward, everything that I have is His. Everything that I give is His. It's all for His name and His sake and His kingdom and His glory. It's all about Him. Here's what I want us to do in response this morning to the, generous, the generosity of God. It's kind of like our Beyond Services, if you've ever been to one. In a moment, I'm going to have our our elders and some of our staff that are going to be up front, and Pastor Zeke and his team. They're going to lead us in response. They're going to lead us in worship. And as the Lord moves on your heart, man, there is freedom in this place. I just want you to respond. I want you to feel the freedom to kneel and pray, to sit where you're at and reflect on the generosity of God, who He is and what He's done. You can come to the front and kneel at the altar. You can pray. You can have our team pray for you. I know that there's some of you that have walked in this place today and you don't don't feel the generosity of God because you're going through some stuff. Maybe you've lost a loved one this year and you're going, man, I I can't believe that that they're gone. I can't believe this happened to me. Or maybe you've got a diagnosis over the last six months or the last year that you're going, man, I didn't see that coming. How is that God's generosity? How is that His goodness towards me? I want to reassure you, church, and promise you that no matter where you're at, no matter what you're walking through, no matter what storms of life are swirling around you, that even in the midst of the storms, He is good. And He is generous. And He loves you. And He goes before you. And He has already made a way when there was no way. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for Your love for Your church. Thank You for Your love for these people. God, I pray today would be a day where they experience a fresh and powerful touch from You, God. That they would realize how good and how generous You are. God, I pray that Your Spirit would fall on this place. And that You would move upon the hearts of Your people. It's in Christ's name we pray.